0: that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. It has been ages, I know. I'm coming at you from sunny Surrey because we live here now. Yes, the mould, poor air quality and stabby high street got a bit too much and we've escaped to the countryside, at least for a little while. This means our sound will probably be below par until we sort out the new studio in the spare room, but please do bear with me. Other than the move, we've had a very busy time and I've desperately struggled to shut off and get absorbed in a book. But that is changing, I know I keep saying that. Curtis and I will fill you in properly when we record our next review episode at the end of the month. That episode will be all about The Red Children, a dystopia set in the very near future in Ramsgate and with a very current message. It's out April 7th, so do pre-order if you fancy reading along with us. Ahead of that review episode, I'll be sharing an interview with the author of The Red Children, the magical Maggie G, who I spoke to last month. Sacky Books have also just released a 20th anniversary edition of Maggie's Orange Prize shortlisted fiction, The White Family. On top of that, I will, I promise, finally be sharing that chat I had with the brilliant, talented and, oh I'll say it, really rather charming Ajani Salmon. He took a break from Dreaming Whilst Black to talk to me about the books that changed his life. But first, to today's episode. Being an author suits Lorraine Brown very well Indeed. With a CV that glows with a variety of interests and passions, from fashion to acting, she feels she's finally found the career that fits, and what a ride it's been for her. In 2016, while working as a secretary, she was longlisted for the Bath Novel Award. Two years later, she earned a place on Penguin Random House's Right Now scheme, and in 2019, she secured herself an agent. Her debut novel, Uncoupling, came out last year, and for its paperback release, it's been retitled The Paris Connection. I spoke to Lorraine about her creative process, why she loves writing about cities, and how hard it is to feel authentic in the arts when your office job pays the bills. As someone who completely understands what it's like to have multiple career interests, I jumped straight in, asking Lorraine all about her various jobs. You're a trained actor as well, are you?
1: Trained actor, but before that, I worked in fashion. And I worked in T V at home shopping, which was cool. And what else have I done? Lots of secretarial stuff. I worked for a plastic surgeon. I worked for a prep school. I've worked for all sorts of different like stuff being a secretary, which um with varying degrees of it being interesting, I suppose.
0: Well, I saw on your on your site you talk about calling yourself an actor but actually working a nine to five in an office. It's so funny how that's just mindset based. Like it's just about positioning that to yourself because those labels are so important when you want to be a creative but you're from a background Mm. that doesn't just go oh just muse all day long for years until (laughs) until it all makes sense because I think you know if I'd had more money in a perhaps a you know
1: more affluent background I could have just called myself an actor and just done acting classes all day and waited for auditions to come but because I had to 95% of the time temp and do other stuff I didn't feel at all like an actor and so therefore somebody asked me it would just sort of roll out that, oh, I'm a secretary trying to be an actor. Uh, I think that's what's so great about writing, that you can sort of do it around, you can do it in your own time, you can do it on your own. You, know, you can write and you feel like you're getting somewhere and you don't need somebody else to validate you or to cast you in something or to put you on stage. Do you feel like a writer now? Finally, when people ask what I do, I can actually say, I'm a writer. <laughs> and I don't sort of have any kind of, you know, oh, but I'm doing, also doing this.
0: Yeah. But even if you were to, like, you'd still be a writer? Mm like all writers aren't just writers most well most writers aren't just writers either they're like teaching or journalists or doing everything else how important is it to you to feel like a writer it's like I I feel like looking at your timeline you've done all these things and like this is the thing that maybe fits yeah that's exactly how it feels I think I was never I never felt quite easy enough with the acting I was
1: you know quite shy I suppose which people always find hard to believe oh you're an actor well I still found it mortifying going on stage and I still got very nervous and you know I don't know. I found it hard. It didn't come naturally, that world. And I don't know, I found the rejection very brutal. Whereas at least when you get a rejection for your writing, there's sort of something you can do about it. Like if there's any feedback, you can take that on board and you can rejig it and you can redraft it. But with
0: acting, you do an audition, you don't get it. That's it. Well, you're getting rejected for your potential as an actor, I suppose. It's we don't think you would be good in this role. Whereas the writing, you're like, well, I've done my book. So this is, you can tell yourself more. It's a matter of taste or positioning.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it, very much so. And, you know, I got lots of rejections for the book and they did feel, you know, bad. But um, then you just kind of regather your thoughts, don't you, and carry on and, and keep going.
0: And so you you became an author through the Right Now scheme. That was kind of was the Penguin Random House, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, the year before that, I'd entered. So this was when I was doing my, my job as a secretary, somebody said, Oh, you should enter the Bath Novel Award. This was in 2016. And I was like, well, What even is that? I'd literally just started writing looked it up and kind of thought oh, well I'll enter that'll give me some kind of motivation to finish into the Bath novel award and got long listed um and I hadn't even finished the book so I had to suddenly finish the book in like a month wow <laughs> I was like up till one o'clock in the morning I had like a, a baby at that point he was very young and I was just yeah anyway finished the book but it wasn't very good and I got some feedback from the judges which was really helpful and then I had in my mind that because I'd missed the deadline for the penguin right now that year I had in my mind that I was going to enter the following year because it felt really important because it was sort of aiming to find writers who were from backgrounds currently underrepresented in the industry so you know that felt like almost on two counts I fitted into that being you know mixed heritage and being from a working class background and it felt I don't know just felt like something I really wanted so I really worked hard to get my draft together in time for that
0: the following year. How important was that in, in getting your novel completed, I imagine? Very. Very. And I think in terms of, you know, feeling like a proper writer, because you got to go to the
1: Penguin head office. you got to take him for lunch. It's like, I still remember that first lunch. I think it was at Jamie Oliver's or something. I was so excited. Like a proper, <laughs> and the CEO of Penguin was there, Tom Weldon. It was all very exciting. And then um, you got like paired up with a mentor. So my mentor was somebody called Katie. who worked at Ebro Press at the time. And then, you know, she, she, so
0: working with a proper editor, a proper working yeah. editor on my book just felt
1: amazing. Gosh,
0: um, and that was uh, that became uncoupling. That's your yes, debut, which has right. just been nominated for the Katie Ford Romantic Debut Romantic yes. Novel Award. Debut Romantic Novel. I know. I'm very excited. Congrats. I was actually looking at dresses this morning, <laughs> thinking, well, I have to get a new dress, obviously. Oh, Katie Ford is wonderful. I met her at a, um, a writing course a few years ago in Wales, and she's just. So lovely. So,
1: so lovely. I've never met her, but I did go to the Romantic Novelists Association conference in Lancaster just before I got my agent, and I remember um, having a really nice day. And um, I remember seeing people like my uh, Charlotte, who's now my editor, obviously wasn't at the time, was doing a talk on Chicklet, and so I we going to this talk and seeing her, and coming away feeling really kind of, oh god, I've just got to keep going with this book, and then literally two months later I had my agent my publishing deal everything and just you know it's amazing that that actually happened I never thought it was going to happen.
0: Did it feel as good as you thought it was going to feel you know we have all these dreams about getting published Mm. or getting an agent and all that sort of thing what's what have been the surprises about that process for you and what has been everything you hoped for? I definitely feel like this
1: is what I'm supposed to be doing you know that as we said earlier that kind of settled feeling of I gave up my day job straight away may have been a mistake. I don't know, but anyway, I did it. I gave up my day job, and
0: um well, you've, you've shown you're very good at getting day jobs if you need them. So, <laughs> I, exactly, I can, I can definitely get a temping job, guys. Don't worry. Um, yeah, and but
1: the surprise is, I suppose, are that it's still very stressful, and that it's never enough. And, and maybe that's just me, but you know, I, I remember thinking thinking to myself, even if I just get an agent, but don't get a publishing deal, I'd be so happy. So, it's taken me like two or three years to get an agent. Of course, then. That's not the case. You want a publishing deal, but now I'm thinking, oh, I, I want. You know, I didn't think I'd be worried about sales, for example, because I'm writing commercial fiction, and I suppose um, publishers put quite a sort of, you know, put some emphasis on sales, and so I worry about sales, which is something I never thought I'd worry about. I, I wouldn't care if I sold like ten copies, but you know,
0: you think once it's in someone else's hands, you go, oh, I'll I'll leave it to you, and then. And of course, the world is very different, even in, from sort of five years ago. With publishing ten years ago, you know, authors are expected to do so much more, mm. sort of promotion, and to really, and that, yeah, you actually feel that interest in <laughs> that vested interest in the sales of your book. It's no longer just getting yeah, over you
1: the do. line. Can you imagine just sort of handing it over back in the day and just sort of leaving it to them? But um, yeah, I guess that you know, being on social media, as you say, is, is a big thing. I've had to get used to I kind of I was like a Facebook hater I didn't have an Instagram account and (laughs) having to force myself to do it but you know I do like
0: Instagram I feel like all creatives actually hate social media but we're the worst Mm. sort of users because we're just comparing ourselves constantly to everyone else at the same time there's that real and then it's the the knowledge that you might as well take it seriously and just put you know good output but then there's this Ugh! why is the world like this <laughs> why I can't know. we go back to before
1: I feel like it's a work in progress for me I did this kind of branding session and they were talking about being your true self being your authentic self because I really like people that I follow that are kind of show you know show stuff in their lives that are going wrong as well like I really love Lena Dunham for example so you know I enjoy watching her journey her ups and downs but I somehow I don't know find it hard to share those more difficult or vulnerable parts of myself on social media so I feel like that's That's work in progress.
0: I think that's very relatable as well. We're not quite sure what the tone is at the moment. And I don't know, women, um, I assume we're a similar age, women of our generation, it's kind of, you weren't meant to give that much of yourself. There's this... Everything's wrapped up with how feminine you are, you know, don't overshare, don't undershare, be vulnerable just enough. But we're still kind of, I mean, I've definitely got the hangover from my mother's generation of, you know, keep your lips and legs closed. (laughs) (laughs) um, Mouth shut, don't complain, don't air your dirty linen and 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 I do think some people still do we still do look at other people and go, oh that's quite exhibitionist and you, you know I know and the whole
1: sort of thing about bragging my mum always says you know we never bragged we weren't allowed to talk about ourselves um in that sort of positive way and sort of and sometimes I do feel like oh am I showing off or am I coming across
0: as as bragging and I'm really aware of that and I think you're right maybe that's a generational thing hmm. and there's also having something to show off about like you have books <laughs> you've written books they you want people to read them but you need to have enough like love for what you've done to be like by the way you're gonna love this but I feel like I've definitely been raised sort of oh anything you do it's no big deal literally nothing on my CV is any big deal I'm not oh well you know it's just it was an accident I did it or mm-hmm. you know oh I don't know how that happened or um it's you know it's not really that good and I don't I think it goes beyond just being a woman sometimes I think some must be a creative thing and um you just waiting for um the actual definitive stamp of approval that says by the way you can you can tell people about this now (laughs) this is
1: yeah exactly what is that stamp (laughs) though will it ever happen (laughs) no well
0: I I imagine that's what you're you're realizing like you said you know you first first stage is getting the novel done then it's getting an agent and you wouldn't care beyond that but then you do care about sales and you want people to you know enjoy your enjoy your books like that's there's got to be some sense of value in in what you produce um do you feel that I'm sorry I know I'm getting very sort of for the kind of um deep personal kind of ideas about that value but do, yeah do you feel like yeah my books are really worth reading
1: yeah I do and I sort of think there's you know there is a bit of a backlash at the moment around the idea of romantic fiction isn't there and sort of uh it being kind of sidelined and not important but I think it's you know I have always read romantic fiction or romantic comedy I watch a lot of romantic comedies I just I think they are valuable I think seeing other people going through relationships is interesting. It's helpful. You learn things. um, It's funny at times, you know, I I, I do think that um, romantic fiction has value and I hope that, you know, other people will
0: see that. Well, absolutely. And there's got to be room for joy. I think everything is um, very, (laughs) very unnecessarily heavy in a lot of, you know, um and you know we, you know we have this thing of when men write romantic fiction it 's fine it 's not it 's not called chickler mm. it 's not sort of dismissed in that way um but I love it i mean i I love just yeah the joyousness of romantic fiction and I'm often one of these people I used to especially in my 20s particularly when I was really figuring out relationships I Ooh. would read so deeply into every romantic novel I read and think how does this relate like to me yeah, it's me so
1: too we like big into Marion Keys I was in the Jane Green all of that stuff was like, oh,
0: yes this is what my relationships are like a disaster <laughs> as well and <laughs> um, so talk to me about uncoupling what was the inspiration behind that
1: yeah so the inspiration was when I well have to shorten this so it's not a really boring story. Anyway, I wrote one novel before this one, and some of the feedback from agents who didn't pick it up was that the story wasn't strong enough and there was no hook. And so I really thought carefully about what that meant. What is a hook? Because I really wanted to get out of my day job, and I really wanted to do something creative, and not be a secretary. So I took it very seriously, and I did a lot of reading, thinking around this hook. And then I came up with this idea that well, my brother had told me a story about fifteen years ago about how he and his girlfriend had. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. And she had got up in the middle of the night to move seats because she couldn't sleep and they both were obsessed with sleep. So she moved carriages and when they woke up, um, the train had divided and they were in different European countries. And that was fine for them. They ended up somehow, I don't even think they had mobile phones at the time. Anyway, they somehow found each other and it was all good. But I remember thinking even then, oh, that makes such a cool beginning to a book or a film. Yeah. So when I was trying to work out what this hook might be, I thought, is that, you know, that sounds like it could be a hook. Let's try and expand on that a bit. Um, so that was where it came from. And then that kind of I didn't want to set it in Eastern Europe because I've never been. So I kind of thought, where would I like my characters to be going or to end up? And I, the first place I thought was Paris, because I love it. And I don't know, I love the idea of a train story as well. I mean, it's not all set on a train but I just love before sunrise the idea that two people meet on a train and you know just have a connection so yeah the train plus Paris was very much my
0: my main inspiration so have you lived in Paris Have you travel there a lot what's the oh god that? I wish I had lived in Paris
1: no I've just been there a lot mm-hmm. and always loved it and had to like loads of different experiences there as well like I've been with friends I've been with college I've been with boyfriends I've been with On my own with my little boy and just, you know, each time it's got a slightly different kind of vibe to it, I suppose. Um, And it feels like somewhere where anything could happen, doesn't it? Just, I don't know, when I was imagining these scenes in the book, it was just nice to imagine them against a beautiful backdrop. And I just also am obsessed with French food, wine and French men. So it
0: just felt like a no-brainer. Well, I I went to Paris. I did my creative writing MA in Paris and uh, I managed to get a boyfriend just before I went. So that was really (laughs) silly, (laughs) really unwise. Um, But I did also put on (laughs) £20. So much bread was eaten and wine. wine, Well, wine's cheaper as well than a soft drink. So I just have wine every (laughs) lunch. Um, So tell me about the research. Did you have to, did did you write most of this? Well, no, you would have finished it just before lockdown, wouldn't you? So I imagine you went to... Yes, my last research trip was just
1: before the pandemic. So like December 2019, I went on my own just for a day because I also got an American deal at the same time. I hadn't even thought about, you know, when you, when, when you think about publishing deal, you're very much thinking about your home country, aren't you? And I hadn't even thought about foreign rights or anything like that. But um, my agent very much thought it would sell well in America. So she sent it to editors there. And I had these calls from New York this is while I was still working as a secretary. It's all very exciting. Um, I got this American deal with Penguin Random House, but they then I ended up working with two editors. So I had my UK editor and my US editor, and so then it was like double the amount of notes. And the Americans are very much uh, very keen on having quintessential Paris in there. So I'd very much sent it, uh, sort of set it around Canal Saint Martin and a bit of Walmart. because they were kind of they had to be close to Gare du Nord. For various sort of logistical reasons, um, but they wanted the Champs Élysées, the Eiffel Tower, the Seine, and I was like, oh they haven't really got time because they're any in Paris. Like, so anyway, I had to fit all this stuff in, and then of course some of the feedback from readers—not very many actually—but some readers have said, "There's no way she could go to all these places in half a day." I was like, oh, I know, sort of. But anyway, by some miracle, there was no traffic that day, and. um <laughs>
0: Somehow. Well, Paris it's quite easy to walk around. You can get from one side to the other very quickly. Yeah, um, you can.
1: And, and the, in the book, they're on a motorbike as well.
0: So I figure he's Parisian. He'll know the back
1: streets. He'll know how to get around. Yeah.
0: yeah. How did you feel about that integrity-wise and all that sort of thing? Or is it just, nope, getting the book done mm. for a different audience?
1: Yeah, no, it was a struggle at first. It's something I've had to sort of come to terms with a bit, I suppose, in terms of writing commercial romantic comedy. I always wanted to write a little bit edgier I suppose in my mind in my mind I write like Sally Rooney this clearly I do not but I would like to write something like normal people just edgy relationships but of course that's not how I write and that's not the deal that I've got and um, so I do have to kind of temper like the Americans also are obsessed with smoking Leo my main character my French character smokes and, well, I don't know about you but I, I do think that a lot of young guys in Paris do smoke yes. still and yes, I know it's do. not very pleasing, and I know it's not healthy I don't smoke but you know they do so but the Americans were obsessed with taking it out we oh, don't really? want to put readers off I was like well, if they're gonna be put off by somebody smoking then perhaps the book's not right for them but then in the end we compromised and I took some references to it out so there was that kind of,
0: sort yeah. of tussle I suppose Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, when you're up against the reader's values. Um, well, such, mm, yeah, these imaginary things.
1: readers that you don't even know exist yet. What might their values be? Um, do I care? I suppose I sort of have to.
0: Mm. But then you think in every aspect of your work, we all have to, we all automatically self-censor something, right? Like none of us are actually writing every single deepest, darkest thing. Do you know what I mean? We're all staying, I think most most writers are still staying within a safety net to a degree. Um, You know, there might be some places you won't want to go or won't want to let yourself go. And that Mm. might be the stuff that gets you, you know, a cult following or whatever. But um, yeah, so I guess it's maybe putting it in that context. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. So do you, I'm I'm guessing you've got books lined up now. Yeah, so I've actually
1: finished my second book and it's out on the 9th of June, which feels nice. It would have been my dad's birthday. My dad died, sadly, but um, it would have been his birthday on the 9th of June. So it feels serendipitous, like he's going to be like pushing the book from afar um and it's another romantic comedy called sorry I missed you and it's set in London because basically I had to write it during lockdown and I was trying to homeschool my little boy which was a disaster and I just thought I literally can't imagine myself in some lovely European city right now I can only think of London um but I did set it in Hampstead which is a part of London that I love um and I guess it's vaguely aesthetically pleasing so yeah I'm I'm looking forward to that coming out it's another sort of yeah relationshipy it's also got an actor in it and I feel like this its kind of told from two points of view the female character and the male character and he is an actor a sort of struggling actor so I feel like there's a lot actually this time a lot of me in him more so than, than her
0: probably well yeah when you think of all the experiences you'll have had and all those insights you get into all these different worlds and there's so much you can just charge into every book
1: that's it. You know, think, think about our long CVs. We can use all of this. And I'm trying to think of like, what kind of world could I set this book in? Or I'm also just starting to write films a little bit now as well. And I thought, what kind of world do I know? And so I thought, well, I know fashion, I know TV, I know secretaries, I know plastic surgeons, I know, you know,
0: all these different things, all these experiences that I've had, hopefully will be useful. So are you um, you're turning Paris Connection into into a screen. Yes, I am. And I'm also um,
1: working on another film, uh, a sort of daytime romance for the American market. Set in the New York Magazine world,
0: so yeah. <laughs> so you must feel like a real kind of just a consummate professional writer. Just you know, this is the subject. I know how to write about this, and yeah, you don't sound tortured about it in a really good way.
1: <laughs> mm, no,
0: I'm not. I'm not tortured about it. I do some. You
1: know, I don't. I suppose I look around and think, do I feel like a writer in my little flat? I... <laughs> I live in this. Quite small flat. And I don't know, other writers that I see on Zoom calls always seem to be in, like, huge, sprawling kind of, I don't know, houses out in the suburbs or countryside with, like, writing spaces with neat desks. I don't know, in that way I don't feel
0: like a writer. But I think that seems more writerly, surely. Um, what are you reading at the moment? I have just finished The Love Hypothesis. Have you read that? No, I my reading has gone completely and utterly to shit the last eight months i've barely read Mm. anything it's been really bad so i have a book podcast (laughs) Mm. no (laughs) i know what you mean i I go through phases like that as well
1: yeah the love hypothesis was this is a romantic comedy it's american and it's set in um in the world of kind of scientific phd kind of they work at a university so i think the idea is that yeah characters that are kind of smart and a little bit nerdy and into science um and it kind of blew up on TikTok, apparently. So this is, you know, I'm not, you know, I've never really ventured into TikTok. But apparently somebody got hold of the book and it went massive on TikTok and then um, kind of got huge sort of success on the back of it. Wow.
0: But it's very good. What do you look for in books? Like, do you have a type of a genre you prefer? Or
1: I used to love psychological thrillers. When I was writing Uncoupling, Straight the Paris Connection, I was actually reading a lot of psychological fiction. So, I mean not Gone Girl, because that was a bit, or Girl on the Train, a bit before that, but that kind of stuff, kind of commercial, psychological thrillers. And I really loved, I thought, you know, I just know that I can't write one because my mind doesn't work like that. I can't, I could not plot one. It would be very boring, I'm sure. But I like that kind of paciness of it and my tension. And so I think when I'm I'm writing, I like to read something that's not a rom-com probably.
0: Yeah, well, you're creating sort of, escapism for people like that's what beth Beth o'leary described it as an escapist um yes she did didn't she which is um kind of what you want to be really i guess that's the
1: i think so i mean you know i'm loving emily in paris think about what i've been reading i've been watching more tv than reading i've been watching a lot of emily in paris and selling sunset and i love that stuff i know everyone's i don't know people do laugh at me Perhaps I should be read and watching more highbrow stuff, which I do occasionally. But I just.
0: I wow. adore Emily in Paris. Oh my, I so just I. lapped it all up, like two seasons, each one one day, done. Yeah, I mean, it's not supposed to be realistic, is it? It's yeah. supposed to be escapist. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> meant to be all the stupid stereotypes and very tongue in cheek with lots of things. I just adore it. <laughs> I
1: just yes. could not get it. I'm that. now literally obsessed with Gabriel's stroke, Lucas Bravo being Leo in my book, if it ever gets made into a film.
0: I mean, if it does, please can I just hang around the filming? Yeah, I'll, we'll just I'll be on just, set. Yeah, just, just this crazy older woman <laughs> just following him around. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, or, or you know, um, and and uh, Antoine, who is in Sex and the City, of course, as the prodigal. Oh guy. yes, yeah,
1: of was. course.
0: Have you watched the latest series of Sex and the City?
1: Well, I watched episode one,
0: and I couldn't watch any more.
1: Terrible, isn't it? devastating
0: so um yeah it kind (laughs) of gets better in ways uh but yeah Antoine because he was the the Prada guy in Sex and the City originally you know when she buys Burger a shirt
1: yeah I I realize not everyone has an encyclopedic (laughs) yeah no I haven't got this perhaps my memory's not quite as good but I didn't I had I knew that I mean I have not watched every episode but he's literally
0: back in the new series as a different character Oh, he's bad
1: but it's a different, as a different character. character yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> it's so
0: annoying it's so annoying
1: <laughs> it's
0: so bizarre the whole series actually I know it's a shame really isn't it because I'm still looking forward to it but
1: <laughs>
0: just have to have more <laughs> Emily in Paris episodes instead are you going to go to Paris anytime soon yes so actually I had this um so not the research trip I did just before lockdown
1: but the one before that I dragged my friend Louise with me and um kind of felt bad because I sort of I don't know I felt like I should have been sort of buying her lunch or something she'd come with me and I sort of had no money so I said if I ever get a publishing deal um, I'll take you to Paris and then of course i got a publishing deal but then we've never got to go because we have to keep cancelling for very obvious reasons so we're going finally in um, May. Oh how lovely. I'm going to Florence on a research trip in March because that's where my book three is set. I've booked a wine tasting tour because the premise is that she's sort of engaged to this guy from a quite a highbrow family and she's like doesn't fit in and doesn't understand this world and you know they clearly don't like her, but anyway, and so there's a lot of these highbrow things going on that she's not really used to, like wine tasting in, in the Chianti countryside and tours of the Effizi Gallery and stuff like that. So, I'm just going to do all of that stuff, which I'm very excited about.
0: So, what drew you to cities as being like the central thread throughout your novels? I know romantic novels that you know mainly set in mm. a city or a countryside, or you know, the place is very important, but yeah, why why are cities so central for you? Yeah,
1: I love cities. Because I think I grew up I grew up in Potter's Bar, which was this small town outside of London. And whenever I could, when I was old enough, I would start going into London and just hang out, you know, walk around Covent Garden, walk around Kingsway, down the Road, whatever it would be. And so, like, the city has always kind of meant something quite special to me, like that kind of escapism, hope, aspiration. And I, would, I don't know, I, I literally, whenever I'm sort of planning a holiday, I always try and tack on a sort of city break, one side or the other, like um actually we might go to the in the summer mm-hmm. and so i suggested to my boyfriend Well, oh, i mean i think we should stop over in paris for a night and then get the train down and i don't know i just they fascinate me
0: yeah no i feel similar i don't um necessarily know much about the cities it's just being there there's something just about the energy have you got any other cities in mind i don't know i'd love to do something in new york
1: mm-hmm.
0: but i've not i've only been once that was a long time ago So I don't know. One final thing, I'll just ask about writers, because obviously a lot of writers listen to us. How do you write a book? Tell me what you plan. Do you plan it first? Do you do the plot first? Characters, city? Where do you start? Mm,
1: Well, first, and I think probably a hangover from that initial feedback, I think of the hook first and a sort of elevator pitch, I suppose. And then I use Save the Cat, always use that to plot. So I sort of have some vague idea of characters, like kind of think what kind of characters would find... Whatever the hook is, what kind of characters find that most difficult? Mm -hmm. What kind of characters could I throw into that that would um, face lots of challenges and difficulties? And then I plot it really carefully. Um, I have started using Scrivener and have like almost like post-it notes or those kind of index cards, scene by scene. And then that really helps me because then when they sit down to write a scene or a chapter, I know exactly what
0: I'm doing. So you get really clear on your characters and everything. Yeah. You don't sort of discover what they do. It's a... I know them yeah, a characters right. a bit more so, a mm-hmm. bit more freedom, I
1: suppose, but plot wise, I know exactly what they're doing, and then I guess the feelings and emotions are a bit more spontaneous as I'm writing.
0: Okay. What is Save the cat? I've not heard that I know, well it's an American
1: book um for screenwriters, right, okay. and it's just about how to plot a screenplay, so it's, it helps you kind of see the book in quite a visual way, I suppose um. And, and a pacey way and a sort of how to hold the audience type way and they have actually they've now um brought out a save the cat writes a novel so a slightly more adapted version for novel writers which is also very good
0: All Right, so you'd, um, you'd yes, recommend I mean, that
1: to, to new writers then yeah very much so ah. and very easy to read and sort of fun read
0: great I, don't I do find a lot of writing books quite heavy but um this is fun thank you lorraine for taking the time to chat to the dabblers book club Lorraine's novel The Paris Connection is out now in paperback. I'll see you next time. Bye. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues